Today we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, there are blue Bibles underneath your seats, and they're going to be on page 559, 591, I mean. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from, the, from long ago and the earth. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. As they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, North Mountain. You're at church. Anybody kind of freaked out about that? I'm at church. Somebody made me come or something. Well, it's, it's, as, it's just what you thought. Uh, pastors all they do during the week is drink coffee and play golf yep. and uh, i joined them on tuesday with your pastoral staff uh, we went to that bel air cool little glendale executive course and uh, I, it was a setup <laughs> so josh said sandy here's what we're going to do you and x uh since you're the newest guys on our team you'll be together and me and Chandler will be uh, together, and we'll play best ball competition. See, and he knows that Chandler's great, he's great, X and I can hardly find the right club to plow the bag. So it was a little ugly, but it was a great, rich spiritual experience for X and I, and uh, unfortunately, it just fed their flesh uh, that they are awesome golfers, and we stink. Gosh, sorry, I just had to do that to you, man. <laughs> Let's pray. We got some, uh, some powerful, sweet truth from Isaiah today. don't want you to miss it, and I don't want to be the reason you miss it, so let's pray. Oh, Father, uh, for 2,000 years, your people keep meeting, keep coming together, wanting to be in your word, wanting to share life. We just can't help it. It's what your spirit does you build your church so build up north mountain today through your word uh, you know every story in the house you know every hair on their head that's amazing so you know their needs you know what they need to hear from you uh, we come hungry and open and ready uh, to understand more about who you are and uh, who we are in light of your call in light of Jesus and all those things. So speak to us, God. Make this the living book that it is today. To the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. I had us a look at 
2 Peter, because that's where we'll end up. He's just kind of a great finishing verse for where we'll be. We're going to jump a couple selected passages in Isaiah as Josh has done. Man, he's done a great job with this big chunk of a prophet that we've had to walk through. Uh, you think about, we're looking at a, a book that was written around 700 B.C. I mean, how many other books on your library are that old, huh? 700 B.C. And Isaiah is, is kind of cool because it's like a Bible. The first 39 chapters, 1 to 39, is, is Israel and uh, their unfaithfulness and a word of judgment to them and to the nations that God will use to discipline them. So it's kind of Old Testament truth. And then the last 27, 40 to 66, is all about uh, restoration, hope, this suffering servant that uh, was someone in Isaiah's day, might have even been Isaiah, but was also pointing ultimately to the Lord Jesus himself. So it, the 66 chapters, like the 66 books of the Bible, Isaiah is a prominent, important, uh, frequently quoted in the New Testament some of your sweetest passages. I love the one on Isaiah 40, they that wait upon the Lord. You know that one, right? They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not faint. How many times have I asked God to make that true in my life? So this is a sweet book. Isaiah was married, had a couple sons. That comes out uh, in the book, the early chapters. And tradition has that he was martyred uh, kings got tired of their, uh, their word of judgment, and uh, tradition is that old Isaiah got sawed in half. Sorry to give you that graphic this morning, but uh, shock value is always good for preaching. <laughs> Keeps you interested that way. What does it mean to believe in God? That's what I want us to think about. The sections of Isaiah we're going to pull out today from chapters 48 and 49, that's where we'll be going, uh, all give another insight of what it means to believe God because it's, it's rich, it's broad, it's deep, it's, it's simple. It's as simple as look to Jesus as your Savior and you'll be saved, and yet it's a lifetime exploration of what does it mean to believe God? Do I believe Him? What what would that mean for me in my marriage, in my work, in my sense of peace, with my finances, with my friendships? So it's an important question. It's one I'm sure as a, a follower of Jesus, you're thinking about all the time. What does it mean to believe in God? Do, do I really believe? And, and God has so orchestrated your life that there are opportunities for that to be challenged and for it to go deeper and for you to have to really wrestle with, okay, am I going to believe this book now that this has happened, that there's been this loss, this pain, this crisis? Do I, will I still believe that? And that's designed by God to deepen our roots. That's what James was saying. He wasn't being flipped when he said, you know, you can actually have joy in the midst of your trials because God is up to something. He's building your character. He's building your faith. So what does it mean to believe in God? That's what I want us to wrestle with. And uh, the first one is from Isaiah 48, 12 to 13. Isaiah chapter 48, 12 to 13. Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, Isaiah 48, 12, whom I called, I am he. And this is a, a statement all through Isaiah because God is countering all these false 
dumb idols, you know, and God mocks them. You, you saw that section of Isaiah where he just mocks them and says, this is so fascinating that that same piece of wood that you made your fire for dinner, now you're going to carve a couple eyes and bow down and worship it? That's so interesting. How stupid is that, God says. I am he. I am the first. I am the last. In other words, there's no one before me. There'll be no one after me. And that's that's hard for us to get our brain around, isn't it? This God is a being that has always been. Uh, I loved comic books when I was growing up, and I'd read the, the comic books, the Marvel and the DC comics, and invariably they'd keep introducing some big bad dude that was before the last bad dude. You know, like is Thanos now, is there gonna, we're going to find out there's somebody before Thanos. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah. So they, they have to just create someone before them because that's, we just can't imagine that there was anyone who has always been. But that's God. And that's, uh, that honors him when we recognize there was no one before him, there'll be no one after him. He will always be. He's not going to run out of gas. He's not going to get tired. He's not going to die. Uh, he is. I'm the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, which is exactly what Jesus will say. Surely my hand founded the earth. Surely, such a lame translation. Of course, he's saying, without question. It's so obvious, he's saying. My hand founded the earth. This is not an accident. Look in the stars. Look at the universe. Look, look at yourself. I'm going to give you some illustrations. But he's saying through Isaiah, isn't it clear? Isn't it obvious to you? This is my design, my handiwork. My hand spread out the heavens. And I call to them and they stand together. I am the creator, he's saying. And that's one of the most fundamental basic truths about God that honors him that we've got to hold. Uh, sadly, because of the era in which we live, as Josh mentioned in his uh, installation time with Jack, there's just constant attacks on biblical truth and that we can have confidence in what we believe. And so evolution has now kind of won the day in academia and the whole idea that it's all an accident, but you, you keep pressing him back. I love the guy Dawkins from England when he got pressed about, so where did this come from, where did this come from? And finally his answer was aliens. And as pathetic as that is, you still had one more question, well, where did they come from? So uh, God, to believe in God is to believe that he is the creator and... Uh, you can't just say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I've still got some problems with creation and that whole Genesis thing. I would say to you, you need, you need to work that through. Because if, if you're going to honor Christ, who Paul said in Colossians, all things were made by him and through him and for him. So if you're going to hold on to this idea that, well, some of it was just an accident and wasn't really his design, that dishonors the truth of who Christ is. So to believe that God is the one who uh, created all things is fundamental, I think, to our, our walk with him. Uh, I would tell the kids, Margie's here, and she can verify my stories because I'm sure you think I'm making stuff up. <laughs> but uh, we'd go to Denny's, and I wanted my kids to believe in God. I knew they were starting to get evolution baloney in school, and so... 
I'd say, you know, it's a fascinating, the waitress comes out with the Denny's breakfast, you know, and me and the boys are all getting the Grand Slam, so there's sausage and bacon and eggs and hash browns and pancakes, and then there's mom and her omelet and this and all this stuff. I say, you know, isn't it amazing, you guys, there's just, there's a monkey back there with some eggs, and they've started a fire, and uh, they laid some bacon out, and he's just throwing it against the wall, and every now and then it comes out like this on your plate. <laughs> isn't that fascinating? And they're like, oh, Dad, that's stupid. I go, well, guys, that's what evolution says. Just a little illustration at Denny's to put the thing in their head, you know. But uh, here's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, did the slide work? Did you get my butterfly slide? I forgot to check. Oh, sorry. I didn't do my pre-service very well, brother. All right. So there it is, right? There's the caterpillar. Up in the far left, the caterpillar. The caterpillar is a humble, defenseless little creature. Spends his whole life probably on one bush. You know, he just doesn't, he gets probably hatched there, eats that leaf, and then spends most of the time in that bush, maybe a neighboring bush. Can't move very fast. Birds come in, eat him. Uh, I was told as an elementary student that he would turn into a butterfly, and I thought, no way. So I would get caterpillars and I'd smash them and smear them on the ground to find the wings. I never found any wings. So I said, they're making this up. He doesn't turn. But that's what, then, then I went to biology class and look what happens. He, look, he, at some time, who knows why, in God's biological clock in the head of the caterpillar, something tells him it's time to die. And he makes his own coffin, cocoon makes his own, wraps himself in it, goes in there, essentially dies and is transformed. And in a period of time, suddenly he's a creature with wings that will be able to migrate to South America. Now, I have yet to find an evolutionist who can explain that to me. How did that accidentally happen? How did the caterpillar say to itself, you know, I want to fly. <laughs> I want to fly. And finally, with enough self-fortitude, he died. And I mean, it's just, let alone the whole human reproductive miracle that uh, how many of you have made a child here? Anybody? A couple, a whole bunch of you. Yeah, you know, I'm, it's ridiculous. Guys, your contribution, this little this fluid right and then the woman has a little egg that you could hardly see and it you know ladies when you're born you are prepackaged with all your eggs wow wow oh but it's all an accident it all just happened by chance it's important as god mocks the idols in isaiah it is just important that you and i wisely mock this argument that this is all an accident because at the root of evolution is racism, at the root of evolution is hopelessness, at the root of evolution is despair. A lot of the brilliant evolutionary scientists took their own life because what's the point? It's all meaningless. So we honor God and we save our neighbors as we get them to consider, you really believe that? You really believe it's all an accident? Consider the caterpillar. That's the gospel. 
That's you and I, humble little caterpillar, pretty defenseless, pretty vulnerable, don't move much out of our neighborhood our whole life, maybe get out of Arizona once in a while. But one day, one day, you are going to have wings. That's the gospel. That's what he made that. This is what I do. I take things that look like they died, and I bring them to life. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I has not seen nor has it entered the heart of man what God's prepared. That the, the redeemed body is nothing like the seed that goes in the ground. Uh, we could spend all morning there. I am watching the clock. Don't worry, Chandler. <laughs> Chandler's like, is this guy going to end on time? I got music to do. <laughs> Paul, when he preaches in uh, uh, Athens, in, in Greece, to these pagan minds, begins with the truth in Acts 17 that uh, there's a creator who made all of us from one man. That's Genesis 1. Uh, so Paul was not ashamed or embarrassed to share the truth of the Bible with uh, Greek academia and, and Greek uh, worshipers. God is the creator. Secondly, what does it mean to believe in God? Let's look at Isaiah 48, 18. 48, 18. The Lord, actually 17 is great if you can peek there, verse 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. I thought of that great proverb, chapter 3, 5, 6, and 7. Anybody memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Anybody still memorize scripture? <laughs> it's so key. One of, the, one of the mentors for me, he's with Jesus now, Dallas Willard, a uh, brilliant godly man. He was a prophet at USC for many years because God told him you can be more fruitful there than if you're a pastor. Uh, you've got a great witness. And uh, his book, The Divine Conspiracy, is a classic. But the man walked with Jesus. He's one of those people that when I was in his presence, I just had this sense of this guy's. This guy knows the Lord. And uh, he was asked one time, so Dr. Willard, of all the disciplines, all the things you've done to fill your soul and walk with the Lord, what's number one? He didn't hesitate. He said, without question, it's memorizing Scripture. Memorizing Scripture, filling your mind, because your mind is darkened, it's fallen, your mind always goes negative. You've seen the research. Uh, you can give a person nine compliments and one word of correction, and that's all they focus on. I mean, that's our fallenness, that's our sin, our brokenness, our insecurity. So we need to fill our minds with the truth of Scripture all the time. Uh, that's why it's so sweet to teach children Scripture and song now in, in what's happening back here at the rest of the, the building. Uh, but grown-ups, you need to keep memorizing Scripture. That's your, that's your ammunition against the lies of the enemy and the attacks that come into you from all sides. That Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. He wants to lead you. And that's the, that's the second point. To believe in God is to trust that obedience will lead to the blessing of peace and living well. Uh, we didn't finish our verse, did we? Uh, Verse 18, 48, 18. If only you had paid attention to my commandments, then your well-being would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. See, God wants to bless you. You understand that? All his commandments are a gift. 
All his commandments protect us from something. He has no arbitrary commandments. None of his commandments are just hoops to see. Let's see if they can jump through this one. Oh, make it a little higher. That's not his heart. His heart is to bless, and he wants to give you a good life. And his commandments will lead you in the good way, the good life. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in green pastures he makes me lie down by quiet waters he restores my soul that's what he wants to do with you don't think that he wants to just punish you straighten you out he's not like your fourth grade teacher with the ruler slapping your hand or sadly maybe some parent that you could never please he wants to bless you and blessing comes through his commandments his view of the good life and that's what god's trying to say to the israelites why didn't you believe me why didn't you trust me when Moses gave you my word and told you this is the way of life, walk in it? Why didn't you believe me? And now look where you're at. Your, your marriages are a disaster, your businesses, your farms are struggling, your enemies are taking over, your children have rejected your faith because it had no guts to it. Obedience, uh, the righteousness of being a godly man or woman. And even science knows it. Even science gets it. Okay, I, I did some Google work, Josh. You'll be so impressed. I actually use the internet like you, brother. Uh, Pew Research folks, well-respected, right? They said, uh, here are the benefits of uh, being a religious person, which uh, I know you don't love that word. Are you religious? You know, it sounds like you're someone that has no fun and never watches NFL football and never drinks wine and... I've just described all the things you really love, haven't I? <laughs> Seven reasons religion is good for you. Number one, it lowers your blood pressure. A Duke University study found that people who go to church and uh, pray and look at the Bible once in a while have lower blood pressure. It's good for you. Number two, you have a healthier immune system. Coming here this morning, your immune system is stronger. Even if you, you know, don't understand a thing this guy's saying, just being in the room lowers your blood pressure and helps your immune system. Uh, religious people survive cancer longer. Wow. Uh, they have more satisfaction in their marriages, in their parenting, in their friendships than people who don't. They live longer. It protects against depression. It reduces stress. So come to church for nothing else. It's just good for you. Just good for you. I mean, let's put that out there on a sign, brother, you know? You don't have to believe all this. Just come in. It's good for you. But we shouldn't be surprised. This is God's design. Holiness, righteousness, it blesses me. Blesses me. Worry, restlessness, impatient, not being present, not being preoccupied, that's the mark of our generation, isn't it? I mean, you know, what is, how often have I heard uh, my sweetheart say to me, uh, hello, are you here? It's like, I'm right next to you. What are you, you know, but I'm not here. My mind's somewhere else. She's talking to me about something she can tell. Got that glazed look that I'm worried about something else. That's, that's what technology, that's the gift of the phone and the computers. You can always be thinking about something else or, oh, there's that sound. I better check that text. Righteousness, one of the, the, the walks of the spiritual life is to turn stuff off, to be quiet for a 
uh, design period of time where no one, you're not available and there's no technology that can reach you. That's the kind of thing that feeds your soul. That's what you were designed for. You were designed to enjoy quiet, to not be anxious when you're alone. Uh, that's what I find that folks are uncomfortable now being alone because they so rarely are. And so we have to retrain ourselves in the beauty and benefit of solitude, which Jesus practiced all the time. He loved the disciples, but he got away from them on a regular basis. I love those scenes, like in Mark. Anybody seen Jesus? Where's the Lord? Where'd he go? You know, I, I mean, it's like, I'm getting out of here. I've had enough of this. And you need to do that with your spouse, with your kids, with work. Uh, righteousness is good for the body. Obedience is the secret to hearing from God. Let me, if you don't believe me, listen to Jesus. This is John 14. If you, if you can turn there, that'd be awesome. But uh, you could just listen. John 14, uh, let's go 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, obedience, do what, what I say, and I'm going to give you a few to chew on this morning. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. A lot of people give lip service to me that they love me, believe in me, but Jesus says, I know it's the ones who actually follow me. Ones who are actually following me, who care what I say, Sermon on the Mount, they're the ones building their house on a rock. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. <laughs> we got a God who just cannot help himself. He must love you. The old Apostle John, in his last words, that epistle, 1 John, what did he say? Well, I've spent a lot of time, I walk with Jesus, I've been ministering a long time, I've walked with God. Here's what I know. God is love. All his workings and dealings with you are motivated by love. He loves you. And Jesus says again, the Father loves you, I love you, and when you keep my commandments and show that you're taking me serious, that you really want to know what I think the good life is, then look at the promise at the end of 21, I will reveal or disclose myself to you. So as you begin to follow Jesus and walk with God and keep his commandments, you begin to understand what this is all about. The word begins to make sense. It's not, gonna, it's not easy. There's some things here that are not easy to understand. You need the spirit and you need time, you need great preachers like Josh Watt, you need help, but as you seek to walk with Jesus, understanding will be given to you. Look at verse 23. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. There it is again. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me, verse 24, doesn't keep my word, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So, Keeping his word is uh, the real evidence that we believe. Lots of people say they believe. Jesus said, there's going to come a day when I return and folks are going to go, Lord, Lord, hey, good to see you. Yeah, glad you're back. I guess it's true. How about that? And uh, he's going to say, I don't know you. You don't know me. We went to church. We even think we pulled off some miracles using your name. I mean, what do you mean you don't know us? Well, you weren't following me. 
You, you didn't love me. If you love me, you would want to know me, you would follow me, you would keep my commands. And you would be blessed and you would experience the good life. Let me give you uh, three good ways to obey God and experience his grace. Number one, follow Jesus. Uh, take some time, look up uh, Luke 9.23. I'll just tell you it right now. Luke 9.23. It's Jesus' invitation, what it means to follow him. It's in uh, the synoptics four different times, but it goes like this. If anyone would come after me, it's of grace, open invitation. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, that is say no to what you think is a good life, and take up my cross, that is take up my version of the good life, which starts with submission to me, and then Follow me, and you will find abundant life. If you hang on to your vision of the good life, he goes on to say in Luke, you'll lose it. You'll lose it. Because that's what everybody thinks they know the good life, and it's not working. If you want the good life, Jesus says, I want to give it to you, but you're going to have to learn to say no to self so you can say yes to me. And that's a daily experience. That's not a one-time, okay, I did that. No, that's every day your flesh, the world, and the devil rise up and say, hey, here's the good life today. And every day you got to say, no, Jesus, what's the good life for me today? So that's the first step in uh, obedience to Jesus. Follow him. Start your day with your mind. Number two, submit to his word. The word has got to be part of your life. And you don't read it like, uh, you know, let's check this out, see if I like it or not. You've got to come under it. You've got to say, Lord, I believe this is an inspired book. It's different than the other book. And I'm going to submit to the truth of the word. Uh, we, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, the word of God is profitable to do everything you need. So God's word is his gift to us. So the second step in following him is saying, okay, I want to get in the word. I want to get in a study with a couple gals, with a couple guys, and we're going to go deeper in this so that I can learn. And then three, this is such a great one. Start loving him and your neighbor. Love him and your neighbor. Jesus said in John 13, 35, this is how you'll know you're my disciple, that you love each other. And that's what you sense when you come into this church. You guys like each other. Phenomenal. Because, you know, look at each other. You're kind of weird looking. But you've learned to love each other. And that's what the Spirit does. And that's what disciples do. So you commit to follow Jesus, you submit to the truth of his word, and you begin to love those that God has put in your life, and suddenly the word starts making sense, and your life starts improving, and you start wanting to obey him. Because his commands are not burdensome. He says compared to religion, compared to legalism, or compared to having no faith, they're easy. It's the good life that Jesus wants to give us. All right, how are we doing? Keep it moving. So, what does it mean to believe God? Believe that he's the creator. That's all through the book of Isaiah. He keeps saying, I'm the one who made everything. I'm the one that holds the nations in my hand. I'm the one that established the, the waters and where they start and where they end. That's important to God. That honors him that you see this is his world. Number two, that you see it's good for me to obey him. It's not that he's just trying to make rules. He's not a taskmaster. He wants to bless me. And the road to blessing, the road to the good life, is following Jesus and keeping his word, learning his commands and keeping them. And his commands are not burdensome. The first one and the big one is become a lover 
of those God's put in your world, of your neighbor, become a lover. The third one is this. Trust that he will not abandon you or forget you. This is a sweet one. This is 49.14. Isaiah 49.14. In verse 13, the call is, he's been giving all these promises about how God's going to bring restoration. And he is. And, and they're time and ultimately in the return of christ he's going to restore things to what you and i long for them to be but verse 14 is our lament have you not prayed this have you not said this in the quietness of your own heart to god sometime verse 14 of chapter 49 the lord's forsaken me the lord's forgotten me this is every person's lament at some time in your life something happened Something was lost. Uh, someone betrayed you. Uh, you. You sinned and you think you can't get back from it. And here's his response. Oh, this is so sweet. Verse 15. Moms, could you ever forget that baby that nursed at your breast? No. And have no compassion on the son of your womb? even though you may forget, because you're human, even though you may forget and you moms know, no, that, I have a connection to my child, I'll never forget them. Even if they abandon, reject us, rebel, I'll never forget them. But even if you do, God says, verse 15, I won't. I won't. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Your walls, speaking like to a city that he would gaze upon, are continually before me. I have inscribed your name on the palms of my hand. Dare you believe that? I mean, that's just too intimate. Can you imagine if you had somebody's name there on the palm of your hand, how often you would see their name? Does God really care that much about you? Was Jesus just using hyperbole when he said, we know you're words before you say them we know the hairs on your head no you are so expensive that's why jesus went to the cross for you because you're that valuable to him the father is not exaggerating your your name is in the palm of my hand though your circumstances may look like i've forgotten i have not one of the best uh, pictures of this truth comes from screw tape letters and i see that my time is about up here before the trap door opens <laughs> anybody read uh, lewis screw tape letters all right way to go you're not memorizing scripture but at least you're reading c.s lewis so, no i love you you know that sarcasm is my love language <laughs> so this is from uh, screw tape uncle screw tape to his uh, novice understanding understudy wormwood you must have often wondered why the enemy that's god okay does not make more use of his power to be sensibly present to human souls in any degree he chooses and in any moment but you now see that the irresistible and the indisputable are the two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use in other words, he won't just plow us over with the truth and reality of who he is, which he could do. 
Merely to override a human will as his felt presence in any but the faintest and most mitigated degree would certainly do would be for him useless. He cannot ravish. He can only woo. Isn't that good? For his ignoble idea is to eat the cake and have it. The creatures are to be one with him, but yet themselves drives screw tape nuts. Merely to cancel them or assimilate them will not serve. Sooner or later, he withdraws. Listen to this, friends. This is so wise. Sooner or later, God withdraws. If not, in fact, at least from their conscious experience, all supports and incentives. He leaves the creature to stand up on his own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. He cannot tempt to virtue as we do to vice. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. Our cause is never more in danger. This is so good. Listen. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks, why has he been forsaken and still obeys? And that's what he's maybe doing with you right now this morning, dear one. It just feels like the heaven is glass and the prayers aren't being answered and you're, you don't have that wonderful sense you've had before and he's doing something deep in you and he wants you to hear, I could no more forget you than a mom could forget her baby. I could no more give up on you. Your name is right here on my palm. Dare you believe it, dear one. Dare you believe it. Jesus sealed this truth with that empty tomb. It's all true. It's all true. Ah, oh, let's pray. Lord God, these truths are, it's just too much. How could we mean that much to you? But we will dare to believe it. We will dare to stand on the truth of your word and honor you and bask in how precious we are to you. Unbelievable. Oh, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you that you're here this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.